This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Hi, so wherever you're listening to this, I hope that you're safe and well. So today we're going to talk about um, books, which is a physical product we mentioned in episode 13, where we had an interview with Lindsay Pollard from Little Box of Books. Um, Lindsay is an online um, bookseller. Um, but today we have an interview with Suzanne Hemming. Suzanne is a self-published author and she writes rhyming children's books with messages of equality and acceptance in them. She also uses her platform to campaign and highlight the need for greater equality. So Suze is the first author we've had on, on the show um, and I hope you're going to find what she talks about today really useful. So whether a book is um, a product that you're thinking of creating or not, I still think you're going to find this a talk from Suzanne absolutely fascinating she goes into lots of details about the self-publishing process and what it involves and they do say that all of us have a book inside of us so perhaps you never know this might leave you feeling inspired um either way I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Suzanne welcome Suzanne thank you so much for being here um could you just start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself and what you do please Yep, of course, no problem. Um, thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Suzanne Hemming, and I um, I'm an, a writer. I'm an author. I write children's books. I write rhyming children's books that have messages of equality and acceptance in them. I want children to believe that um, they can do anything, be anything. Uh, you know, there's no right or wrong way to be. Um, uh, and so, uh, yeah, that's why I do. I'm a writer. Thank you. And so what inspired you, first of all, to start writing your own books? Uh, my daughter actually, uh, is, is my inspiration and it all began with her. Um, I, um, I had my daughter and when she was little, uh, I wanted her to have some, fairy tale books that I had had when I was a kid you know I was we were building her library of storybooks to read at bedtime I mean this goes back to when she was really really tiny um I just you know reading is so important for children reading is really important for children's language development speech development cognitive development so we read her bedtime stories from when she was weeks old literally um and I, it was around the time of her first Christmas and I wanted to get lots of these fairy tales that I had had when I was little. And then looking at them with the eyes of an adult, 
in the time that we live in, I was just suddenly kind of horrified by all of the messages that are hidden in, well, not just in the books I realized, but just in everyday life all around us. Um, you know, pink passive princesses just waiting to be rescued by the prince. The princes are the strong, silent type. They, you know, expect to be loved and to be married instantaneously and they don't share and talk about their feelings. And, um, I just thought, God, I need, I need, I want the books that I read with my daughter. I want the world that she grows up in to be different. Um, and so I started to seek out uh, books that had different messages in them, more um, equal messages in them. And there are some out there. There are a lot more now than there were when my daughter was born seven years ago. Um, but I, uh, yeah, the more I thought about it, the more I thought um, maybe, maybe this is something that I can do. I'd started writing a blog, mostly for my own sanity, really, during kind of those early days of motherhood. Um, and so I started dropping things into the blog about writing and equality and children's books um, and occasionally having a go at a rhyming, a piece of like a rhyming story. Um, and I got really lovely feedback from people and I just thought, yeah, you know what? I've, I've always enjoyed writing. I'm, I'm going to have a go. Let's see if I can do this. So yeah, it began there really. It began kind of inspired by and for my daughter and has grown into doing it for, well, not just everybody's daughter, but everybody's son, you know, people's children, I'm hoping. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I can t I'm totally with you there. I have a daughter and she's just got into the princess stage. And I have to say, a lot of the classic sort of fairy tale princes, you know, Cinderella and Airy, all the ones that I watched when I was a kid, I'm horrified now at the messages in them. And obviously, when you're a small girl, you just don't pick up on any of that. Well, not no, consciously but you, but anyway. you absorb, you yeah. absorb all of those messages, don't you? And it's frightening. And then the world actually. around you tells you, keeps telling you those things, keeps telling you that you have to be pretty that you have to be liked that you have to look a certain way that you um that you're not as strong as a boy that you can't run as fast as a boy that yeah those those messages are all there and we we all absorb them all the time yeah. and i don't think we're even immune to it when we're adults you know we don't realize that um it's, it's that thing, isn't it? Until you kind of see it, until you open your eyes and you see it, you don't really notice what's, what's out there and what's going on. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they do. They absorb all of those messages. Yeah, that, yeah, that princess face. Man, yeah, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. and, and like you, that was the point at which I, I sort of became much more aware of all of this because before that, I don't know, it just wasn't something that I actively thought about, but yeah, now I'm very conscious of sort of the messages our children like I've got I have a son as well and I'm really conscious of the messages that they're getting so yeah. coming back to writing so I saw um when I did a little bit of research into you I saw that your background is as an engineer is that correct well no not quite so I studied engineering at ah. university yeah so I at school I um really loved sciences maths and physics and um, and at the time, 
actually, you know, actually at the time it was considered a really good industry for a girl to consider going into because there, there definitely weren't, I mean, there still aren't many women in the STEM industries, are there? But, you know, really there weren't many then. Um, so, yeah, I kind of, um, that's what I did at university. Um, I, I very quickly realised that I wasn't, practically, I wasn't particularly very good. Um, I kind of enjoyed the theory and the, you know, that, that came with it but um yeah by the time I'd finished my degree I knew that I didn't want to go into any kind of general engineering from a practical point of view um but yeah but I did I did study it that's what okay. I that's what I've that's what my degree is in yeah so for, in terms of so the writing so am I right in thinking that your first experience sort of writing I want to I say professionally but you know what I mean it was that your was that your blog when you first started yeah, sort of yeah it was actually writing? yeah because actually what I, what I ended up doing for a living, um, I kind of took the interest in engineering and I, I, wanted to, I wanted to work in the TV and the film industry. And so I started off trying to break into the technical um, department, so like camera and sound. It was actually sound that I was interested in at the time and I wanted to try and get into the sound department. Um, and again, like I say, practically, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not great practically at those things. And but what I, what I ended up doing was working in the production office, which is much um, more, um, you know, the kind of management, the uh, facilitating of, of the shoot, the, the administration, the legal paperwork, all of that kind of thing. Um, but I never had to write creatively in that, in that way, in that job. Um, you know, I wrote, memos and emails and things to the crew and to the cast but yeah not nothing creative so yeah writing the blog actually was probably the first time that I'd ever written anything and like put it out there for public consumption so um yeah that was very nerve-wracking actually <laughs> that sure. was really nerve-wracking <laughs> hitting, hitting you know posts on that very first blog post and not wanting to actually press the button thinking that like the world was going to explode or something if I press the button and then I would be inundated with people reading my words and of course it doesn't happen like that at all very few people read your words when you first put them out there into the world um but yeah so it was blogging and then um and then into the books that was my first experience yeah I can really relate to that. I had the same thing when I started my blog. I look back now and it was terrible. And I wonder why I even fretted over it because nobody was reading it. I don't know who I thought I was writing it for. Probably my mum. I know. It's hilarious, isn't it? I mean, I didn't even like when I started blogging, I was so nervous and worried about it that I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. I blogged like anonymously. You know, I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell my friends. I was just putting these blog posts out there. And I created some social media for it, but even the social media didn't have like my name or my face or anything on there at the time. I was terrified. Well, I was terrified of actually. Um, yeah, I didn't tell anyone. So who on earth these like thousands of people were, I thought were going to read that kind of blog post and suddenly ask questions or something. Who knows? But, um, but yeah, it's funny, isn't it? The states we get ourselves into while we're, we're doing these things and dipping our toes into these waters. Oh, absolutely and the reason I wanted to, to bring that up actually is because uh, when I talk to people about creating products whether it's a physical product or a book which is obviously another kind of physical product something that often trips people up is they haven't got the right background or experience so I really just wanted to for everyone listening to know that you didn't come from a publishing background or even nope. a professional writing background nope. um, and I just think it's really important for people to see that that actually what you've done isn't as 
necessarily as important as what you are going to go on to do yeah definitely definitely because um yeah I mean it, it so it wasn't without you know I wasn't without kind of imposter syndrome at the start I didn't have a background in publishing I didn't have a background in writing I wasn't a journalist I hadn't studied English literature at university you know I I didn't consider myself to be kind of well read of all of the classics or anything like that um so there was a lot of imposter syndrome there at the start but what there also was which I think overrides all of that is a passion to do something to create something and you know for me that passion was born out of wanting to kind of be part of creating change and making the world different for my daughter when she was older um you know this this also around all of this time uh, this was the time of like me too starting as well and kind of the idea of you know the idea of if you know if men and women viewed each other so much more equally across every aspect of life society then maybe there would just be fewer me too moments in the world because men wouldn't just look at women in a certain way you know and act in a certain way um and that's a whole other big conversation to get into isn't it but but you know the passion to be part of like trying to create some kind of change was there and and that just overrode all of the other all of the other issues that I thought were there it was just like well I yeah I'm just I'm gonna do this I'm gonna have a go like what's the worst that can happen you know I end up with a lot of books in my spare room (laughs) I'll give them to schools or I'll give them to a library or something you know but yeah you don't I don't think you have to have done it before in order to to do it now. Thank you for that. I think it's really important for people to hear. And actually the word passion that you brought up, I hear that a lot actually. And I agree. I think if you've got the passion, that's what will see you free because presumably it's not easy and it's not simple. And actually the next thing I'd really like to get onto, if you don't mind, is to talk about, okay, so you had this idea that you were going to write your book. So Mm -hmm. would you mind talking everyone through the practical steps? So what are the, you know, what are the practical things you had to do between I'd like to have a book and now I have a book you know a physical book in my hands and obviously go into as go into as much detail as you think as you like but I think it'd be just really interesting for people to get a sense of what that entails okay so um so yeah like I've said I didn't know anything about the publishing industry at all but I knew what a book looked like you know there were lots of books out there um yeah um I knew uh you know just just picking up books in my daughter's bedroom I knew what how books are priced you know which is actually that's a little bit different for the um you know the products that I created compared to some other products is that there are quite fixed prices in uh kids publishing in publishing in general there are there's a certain amount that people pay for a a book you know so um which I know a lot of people who you work with probably are having to really consider what their price point is and where they are in the market. Like a book is a book, you know? Um, but so, but I, I knew what a book looked like, what it felt like. I knew what size kids books were. Um, I knew books that, um, you know, I knew books that felt like they were too thin. I knew books that felt like they were quality. Um, I knew where people bought books. I was the person who bought books. So I knew about online retailers and I knew about 
chain bookstores and all of that kind of thing. So I really just needed to kind of go, okay, how, how do I physically make it? Um, and I know this might sound really simple, but I, I think I just Googled how, how do you publish a book? Like, how do you self-publish a book? You know, and like the power of the internet, thank goodness we live in a time with the power of the internet because there were so many blog posts, articles, websites, whatever out there. Um, and I just started reading them and I started making a to-do list basically. Um, you know, it was yeah it was it was not to say it was simple but it was kind of it was that you know it, it was as simple as kind of going I'm going to do this let's google how you do this right let's make my list I want it to be illustrated I can't draw I need an illustrator how to find an illustrator how to work with illustrators um you know it, again just google 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 um you know I'm, ne- I'm going to need to print it where am I going to print it? Okay, let's look at where other books have been printed. Let's look at, you know, printers that publishing houses use. Let's look at printers that other self-published authors have used. Um, Let's get some quotes. Um, So, yeah, I I made a to-do list. I kind of, I looked at my product. I, I picked up a book and I looked at it and I kind of went, what does it need? What's on the back? It was a barcode. How do I get a barcode? You know, um, what's this inside every book I pick up? There's an ISBN number. There's this international number that every single book on the planet has. So it can be catalogued and logged in the British Library. You know, okay, how do I get an ISBN number? Let's Google what that is. So Google was my friend. And um, and I just, yeah, basically, I, I can't say it any more simply than that, really. I just made lists googled more things that would lead to more questions you know that would yeah it's like well it's kind of it goes back to kind of my engineering and my kind of scientific brain of my teenage years and my uni years you know you just ask questions and it questions throw up new questions and then you solve those and then they throw up new questions and then you research those um yeah, have I answered that? You have. I think, and I, I, think, think I have, yeah. <laughs> I've been smiling and nodding so much because that's exactly how I got started with my products, which I think is great for people to hear that whether it's a book or another kind of product, the process is pretty much the same in that there is a process, um, you know, and I started off the same, Googling, making lists, Googling a bit more, making more lists. And now, you know, I have sort of a process you sort of work through. It's almost like a checklist. I do this, 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 and this, and yeah. I end up with a product. And I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm making an assumption here, but perhaps you can let us know for your second book, because I know you have two books now. Was that a lot, I'm assuming, but you can tell us, was that a lot simpler because you had this process down and you knew what you were doing? Well, it was a lot simpler in the sense that the process was there. So I, you know, I already had a lovely illustrator that I'd worked with. You know, one of the things that I discovered with the first book was actually book design, book layout, um, cover design. I had a designer that I'd found that I loved working with. I had a printer that I wanted to work with again. I was very happy with their product and how the, the process had gone with them. So there were lots of things that were in place that made it simpler. But... Um, you know, not being somebody who does this every single day, I, I still had to go, Oh God, what do I need? What, like, what, okay, what else do I do? But I had that there. I, it was written down. I had emails, I had folders on the computer. I, so it was simpler in the sense that 
I had been through it once. I wasn't quite as afraid of it. The process was there. And I, I went back to it each time I kind of thought, God, what's next? What's next on the to-do list? Right, there's my list. Okay, that's what's next. So yeah, it wasn't quite as scary second time around. And like, you know, next time around, it will be the same. I'll just go through the process again. Thank you. Okay, so I'm trying to think of the questions that people listening might have. And um, one thing it'd be great if you could explain is the difference between traditional publishing and self-publishing, just for anyone who isn't entirely clear what you mean by a self-published book. Okay, so a traditionally published book, you would have a, a publisher. You would have a publishing house like your Penguins, um, your Random House, um, you'd have an editor who worked with you. There'd be a whole team of people behind you um, creating it, creating your book and putting your book out into the world. Um, Self-publishing, you are doing that yourself. You, there isn't anybody else doing that for you or with you. You are having to work out the process, um, fund the process um do all the marketing sort out all the sales um i mean i think the thing really to to for people to take away from it is with self-publishing you have a lot more control over what happens when it happens how it happens what is in your book actually physically what is in your book um but you you don't have the expertise and the support network uh, that you would have if you were publishing a book traditionally. Um, yeah, you know, you're, you're just, you're the one woman band. You don't have that big team behind you. Yeah, if something goes wrong, you know, you have to work that out for yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, I think I've answered that, haven't yeah, I? That's yeah, the, thank the you. Difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, presumably I suppose you don't have the I don't know if this is the right word but the clout either you know to get into bookstores and things like that I'm assuming if you have no. a publisher it's easier is that correct yeah you really really don't have that kind of clout that is definitely the word you don't have that presence people don't know who you are um, you know the book industry is um, there are so many authors in the book industry people that we have never ever heard of that have had super successful careers um, but there are just so many names out there and um, the children's industry particularly there's you know the top 10 of the children's industry is um, just almost always dominated by the same number of names but there are hundreds of other children's authors out there so if you are with one of the big publishing houses, they, they, again, it's the process, it's the system, it's the contacts. They have all of that in place. They will have the funds to market your book to get you into the various book stores. Um, yeah, when you're, a, when you're a self-publisher, you know, you have to start right from the bottom and do all of that yourself. You have to market it completely yourself. You have to... You have to knock on the doors of the, whether it's the online shops or the bricks and mortar shops, you have to do everything yourself. Um, and you don't have that same presence. You don't have that presence on the high street. You don't have that same virtual online presence. So you, yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's tough. It is. I'm not going to lie. Um, 
yeah sorry big pause I didn't know where I was going with okay. that last sentence but um yeah, don't worry at all yeah you, you you just you don't have that you don't have that expertise behind you and yep. that name behind you that makes sense so I have two follow-up questions from that so the first is so I know you sell your books on your own website and on Amazon is there anywhere else where your books are sold at the moment so have you got any 20 bookstores either online or yes so the the big change for me that happened uh just over a year ago actually was um getting um a distributor so the traditional way that you know books are sold um a publisher doesn't really sell them directly i mean lots of publishers actually do have an online retail presence but they have um distributors that distribute the books on their behalf to every other possible retailer that there is be they be they virtual or bricks and mortar um before getting a distributor i was the person who contacted you know the tiny independent bookstore at the other end of the country i was the person looking for those bookstores you know following them on social media trying to engage with them you know sending them emails sending them sometimes sending them actual physical books to have a look at that kind of thing um and that was a, a really long process doing that um, on my own and but when i got that... oh i'm sorry, sorry i'm sorry to interrupt that before right. we talk about distributors so how but how i'm really interested if you don't mind telling me so that sounds like a so much work does yeah. that pay off or or not it can yep. you know it, it can do but it would pay off kind of it would pay off slowly yeah you know in order to make a living from anything you need to kind of really scale up so you know if you found a local bookstore and they kind of went oh yeah we'll take five and see how it goes you know that's a bit different to like you know I don't know WH Smith saying oh, we'll put a handful of books in every branch of WH Smith or a handful of books in every branch of Waterstones or something obviously you need to be able to scale yeah, in order course. for your business to be viable with any any product right um so uh you know did it pay off yes in the sense that um i was able to make contacts um you know start some relationships with some um retailers but the yeah the really big change came when i was finally able to get the distributor because then they well so they distribute on my behalf now. So I am listed on their website and a retailer from anywhere when they're ordering books for their bookstore or their lifestyle store or, you know, whatever shop they have, when they're on their website, they can find me. So it's kind of easy now for any seller, any retailer to go, oh yeah, we'll have a couple of those and see how they go because they get in the order in any way of all the other books that they're ordering. Um, uh, and so, it, and it also means as well, it kind of gives, um, it, it gives, uh, what's the phrase? It gives me as a small publisher, um, what's the phrase? Is it cachet? You know, it's kind of like when I speak to retailers and they can, they say, well, how do we get your books? I just say, Oh, well, you just speak to Bertram's. You know, Bertrams are one of the biggest distributors in the country. Every bookseller, every retailer will have heard from them. So to be able to say, oh, yeah, you know, you just get it from Bertrams when you're getting your other stuff, your other books, 
it, it gives that um legitimacy almost yes is that the right thank word? you that yeah the that is completely the right word yeah because they you know with anything there can be a bit of I guess like a bit of snobbery you know kind of oh it's a self-published book you know did she knock it out on the printer at home and staple it together and it's like no I set up a company and I you know I want this to be a really quality product so um so yeah it's one of those kind of it was that it was that next little step of um well, yeah, I've got a distributor now, so I can I can reach more people. I can start to scale up. Yeah. Um, so I still need to market the books. I still need to do all my own marketing. I, again, I don't have a marketing team behind me. That would come from the publisher, you know, and I am the publisher, so I still have to do that. But, um, but yeah, let me think. Sorry, I, t- I'm, I tend to waffle. I think maybe this is why I'm kind of good at writing. <laughs> is that I'm just like, yeah, just put it all down and then edit it. I would edit it afterwards, you know. Um, but you no asked me about when we can get my books. Um, so like most bookshops, basically, you know, if they don't have it, they could really easily order it. It would, it would come up on their system if somebody went into a bookstore and asked for it. Um, again, any online book retailer, if, if a customer messaged them and said, um, uh, you know, can you get this book? They'd be able to order it. Um, Amazon, which is like the first place that lots of people go to to yeah. buy a book, obviously, um, they're on there. Um, and actually, yeah, interestingly, I don't really sell that many from my own direct website anymore. Um, yeah, it's very, very few orders come in directly like that anymore. People tend to go and buy them in other places or from Amazon. Okay, thank you. And so how would you go about getting a distributor? That's, that's something that's just occurred to me. You should be talking about it. I mean, I, I don't know if most people, myself included, are actually sort of aware that they're there. I guess if you're not in the industry, you just wouldn't know that possibly. No, I guess that was something that came up in one of my very early Google searches. <laughs> you know, like, how do you, how do you publish a book? Well, you need a distributor. Um, honestly, I, um, I, got, I finally got a distributor through kind of perseverance. So I, I sent lots of emails. I tried to find lots of names of people who worked at distribution companies, whether they're big, whether they're small. I sent copies of books. I sent letters. It's that kind of classic, like, just keep going, yeah. keep going. And eventually, um, you know, I kept thinking of, you know, not that I'm trying to compare myself to JK Rowling here, but I, I kept thinking of her saying she sent out the first manuscript of Harry Potter to so many publishers and got so many rejection letters. I think all of which she has, you know, she kept them all because they were, um, they, they made her keep going, you know. Um, but it, eventually it lands on the desk of somebody who picks it up and who takes a look and goes, Oh, I think, I think we can do something with this. So I just kept going with lots of emails. And then one day somebody opened up the email and, and replied and said, Oh, can we find out more about your company, please? And your books. And I was like, yes, you can. Yes, you can find out more. Um, so yeah, with perseverance, I guess not yet. Yeah, it comes back to that passion of wanting to do it. It's, you know, I knew I needed a distributor if the book was going to reach more people. So then that was my next thing on my to-do list. I had to make, uh, I had to find a distributor. I had to find one. Perseverance is definitely the key thing yeah. I'm taking away from that. Yeah, definitely, yeah. 
Okay, so you mentioned marketing um, a moment ago, and that was actually the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about. There's just so many things I want to ask you, so you should have to tell me if you run out of time. Um, so how did you go about, or how did you and do you go about sort of telling the world about your book? So you have an idea for a book, you create a book, you have a physical thing in your hand, presumably you have boxes of these in your house somewhere. Yep. So how did you get the word out about them? Social media is such an amazingly powerful tool for businesses big and small to use to reach their customers um i i think i i don't think i would have attempted this 10 years ago or 15 years ago but you know sort of six or seven years ago um social media just has the power to reach so many people right in the palm of their hands and um so creating a social media presence was really important creating a website um was also really important at the time i felt like both of those were shop windows as it were to the the product um social media is the first shop window that people see and then if they click through to buy something your website is the next bit of the shop um and then it was oh gosh then it was um connecting with people so trying to find um trying to find my customer i guess trying to find the person who's going to buy that children's book so because my books have messages of equality and acceptance in them i guess i was trying to find just like-minded people um and find um sorry i'm stumbling on my my response to you here i'm trying to like my brain is my brain kind of got too fast ahead of itself and then it was like i don't know which bit i'm about to say next do you ever get that like when your brain just words and words (laughs) and words and then you go oh i've gone blank all of a sudden i don't know um just keep going you're doing great okay (laughs) um yeah social media was a really really big one um trying to find your customer trying to connect with people um also trying to connect with people who might be able to influence other people so trying to build up relationships with influencers or people who um you know big or small like you don't have to have an influencer with two million followers you know you can have somebody with five thousand followers but if their followers are really engaged with them then it's you know then it's really beneficial as well um i did some um i learned about i learned a little bit about you know email marketing like direct marketing through email so anybody who bought a book on the site in the early days um i would then follow up with some news and some information not as um not in any kind of i think when you do it yourself there's so many things that you can do that if you had departments that were doing all of these things there would be a you know, well, the minute anybody buys a product, they get an email about X and then a week later they get an email about Y and then a month later they get an email about Z. You know, there's like a real process and routine, a marketing process to all of these things. When you do it yourself, it's, it could be a little bit more haphazard than that. But, um, but anyway, yeah, some, you know, some marketing via email. Um, I contacted lots of schools to offer to go in and do book readings um, in the hope that then I would be able to reach the parents that way um i um 
I just reached out to lots of retailers again through social media or just through emails. Um, and then I did a bit of traditional kind of um, marketing as well. I, um, I met somebody who introduced me to a PR person and um, she got me a really great piece that was in the mail online about my first book. Um, and then I worked with her again for the second book. She got me another piece in the mail online. Um, yeah, you know, pre press, traditional press marketing is still really, really important and really valid when you're marketing a product. So, um, I read those today, actually. They were great articles. The, the, oh, did you? The ones in the mail. I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were, you know, not without elements of controversy, I guess, given the subject um, matter. That's probably going to sound way more intriguing for people <laughs> than I really intended to be. Um, well, I will yeah. link to them in the show notes so people oh, can go over and read. People can go and have read a read of them, out. yeah. And they can, yeah, they can have a read of some of the comments. Um, yeah, I got quite upset. I don't know if you read the comments. I got a bit upset reading the comments with the first article when it went out. And so when the second article came out, I decided not to read the comments onto the article. But yeah, that will intrigue people enough, hopefully, to go and have a read of them and then decide, <laughs> yeah, decide whether they want to be a person who buys this book or not. So there we go. Oh, thank you. So while we're talking about getting your book out there, do you want to talk a little bit about the Save the Children, Save with Books campaign? Yes, that would be great. That was such an amazing campaign, which is still happening, actually. So I was introduced to the campaign by the really wonderful Lindsay, who runs a company called Little Box of Books. And um, Lindsay runs a subscription book service for individuals, but also for um, schools or nurseries to try and diversify the books that people read so that children of all colour can see themselves in books. Um, and so that children, the, the, you know, children's books have been predominantly um, white and not particularly diverse. Um, and Lindsay wanted her son to be able to read books that showed, well, that reflected society, reflected the society that we live in. So she set up this amazing company. Um, and she had previously done some work with Save the Children. And something that was happening with Save the Children in America was, um, well, it all came about actually as a result of um, coronavirus and going into lockdown. And um, the campaign was started by Jennifer Garner and Amy Adams because for a lot of children, a lot of children particularly who live in poverty, Going to school is not just about their education. For some children, it is um, a safe place to be. For some children, it provides them with the only main, main meal that they might get that day. And so going into lockdown was going to create a lot of difficulty for a lot of children. And what Jennifer Garner and Amy Adams and Save the Children decided to do was this wonderful campaign called... Um, Save with books, where they would ask celebrity friends, well-known faces, to read children's books, which in itself is just a really lovely thing to do, to see a book being read, to have a book read to you by somebody is just a really, really lovely thing. But to use their um, celebrity to ask people to donate to the charity. And then obviously the charity would 
to say the children would do what they normally do, which is go out and help children and communities where children need help. Um, so it was started in the States and Save the Children UK decided that they wanted to do it over here as well. Um, they knew uh, Lindsay Pollard, as I say, because she had done some work with them previously. And um, sorry, I should have said at the start, Lindsay is a massive champion of my books. There's um, a diverse element to uh, my stories. Uh, and the, the things that I write about and so she's always been a, a fabulous champion of the books and so when Save the Children UK got in contact with her and asked her for recommendations for books that they could pass on to the celebrities to read she um, very very kindly said you yeah you have to um, have a look at these books written by Suze um, I think you'll love them I think you'd love to include them um, and uh, thankfully they, they did, they liked both of the books. They thought they were great. And they gave the queen engineer to Cara Delevingne and they gave, she's not good for a girl. She's just good to, um, Annabelle Wallace. Um, and both of them loved the books. And so both of them recorded themselves reading the stories and they've been out as part of the campaign. Um, uh, and that, like I say, the campaign is still going. They've still got people who are reading books and asking people to make donations. So, um, yeah, just a really amazing campaign to have been part of, actually. Yeah, felt very um, privileged to have been part of it. That's fantastic. Yeah, well done. Thank you. Yeah, well, I have to thank Lindsay. I have to thank Lindsay for A, being the champion of the books and B, um, yeah, sending my books off to them saying, please consider these. So. Well, Lindsay has also been a podcast guest and actually by the time this is released her podcast will already have gone live so um, I'll link to that ah. in as well so people can hear more about Lindsay okay. and also you can listen and hear what she said about you oh <laughs> yeah nice. oh. it was all nice but maybe I okay, can good. <laughs> go back and hear what she had to say okay so I have um, kept you here longer than I said I would so apologies for that but have you got time That's for just right. one, or two, one, or, one or two yeah more questions absolutely. okay Definitely. so and I promise I, I promise I'm wrapping things up, but I had just so many things that I wanted to ask you. So I, I am wrapping things <laughs> up. Um, so, I, um, okay, penultimate question. What is your number one piece of advice for anyone else wanting to publish their own book? Just do it. Just do it. Just have a go. I don't know whether somebody said this to me or whether I read it somewhere, but right uh, back in the early days, I can remember well the, the thing that I kept hold of was that the only thing you will regret is not having had a go so th that's the only regret that you will have um like again what is the worst that can happen you end up with boxes of books in the spare bedroom or in the garage or you know that you have to donate to a library or a hospital or schools or like just just have a go just do it um it's, yeah, it's a, it's a bit. I'm kind of stealing a stealing a catchphrase there from a well-known sporting company, aren't I? <laughs> but just do it. Like, yeah, that's the best bit of advice I can I can give to people. Have a go. I like that. I love that. Thank that you. Have a go. Thank you. And the final thing is, I know that book number three is on the way because I've yep. been following you on Instagram. So, what can you tell us about that? Can you tell us anything about that now? 
I can't give you a title. I don't have a title yet. Um, that's, I guess that's something that will come later. That's always come a bit later with, with, with the previous two books. Um, I can tell you that, um, so there is a character in the first book called Frank. The main character in the books is Florence, but in the first book, there's a character, there's a friend of Florence's called Frank. And um, I'm bringing Frank back. I thought Frank was a really lovely little character. So he's coming back as the main character in this book. Um, that's not to say that Florence might not make an appearance. But the thing that I'm trying to tackle, the issue that I'm trying to tackle in this book is something called toxic masculinity, which people may probably, will probably have read about. But for anybody who hasn't read anything about it, toxic masculinity is the idea that in order to be male, in order to be a man, you have to behave in a certain way that there is a certain uh, societal view on how men should behave. Um, so again, it kind of comes back to those strong, silent princes that, you know, um, only viewed the princess for her gown at the ball or whatever, you know. I, you know, I always kind of joke and say, you know, Prince Charming didn't even recognise Cinderella the next day when she was in day wear. He only fell in love with her when she was in a fancy crown and dress, you know. So the idea that boys have to um, boys have to man up, boys shouldn't cry, boys shouldn't show their feelings, boys shouldn't talk about their feelings, is so damaging to the health of men generally. Um, and not to get kind of too sort of serious on this matter for the moment, but um, I read it was a couple of years ago, and I read this this terrifying statistic that um, I think I'll get the numbers wrong. I think it was 64. I think it was something like 64 men a week take their lives, take their own lives. And that just seemed like a shocking number of people. You know, it's one of the biggest killers. Suicide is one of the biggest killers in men under the age of 45. It's one of the things that you are most likely to die of if you are a man in this country under the age of 45. And it's obviously, a huge complex issue but so much of it is wrapped up in this idea of toxic masculinity and this idea of men not showing their feelings not talking about things feeling they need to man up and the more I started to look into it the more I realized what a massive disservice it does to women as well as men because one of the things goes hand in hand with manning up and um uh, you know, not crying is quite often the the phrase, don't cry like a girl. You're running like a girl. You're throwing like a girl. You're, you're behaving like a girl, which really makes young boys think that, that something about girls is really bad. It's really awful to be viewed as doing something like girls. So that, that kind of inequality really begins early on, you know, um, and it's no wonder that, you know, people don't view each other as, as equals. You know, it, it internalizes the messages for girls that being a boy is better than being a girl because we keep telling them not to do things like girls. So girls grow up thinking that boys are better. Boys grow up thinking that girls are worse, you know. And an absolute worst case scenario, it can lead to a, an adult who doesn't share their feelings and talk about things and might think the only way out of something is to take their own life one day. All sounds incredibly serious. And I don't mean to put like a really big downer on the end of the, the chat, 
but it is really serious and it is really, really important. And I, I just started to think, I wonder if I can write about that in a way that children will understand. And, you know, books, books are great conversation starters as well. You read a book to a child, children have lots of questions. Children are naturally inquisitive. And, and the, 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 um, the other thing as well is that if you have a subject that you don't quite know how to talk to your kids about reading a book, it helps you. It, it helps the adult, it helps the parent or the grandparent or whoever it is who's reading the teacher start that conversation. So I read these terrible statistics and I started to read about toxic masculinity more. And I just thought, I wonder if that's a subject that's such a big, such an important subject that affects boys and girls, men and women. I wonder if I could write about that and make it accessible for children. Uh, in rhyme, <laughs> I, mean, I like to give myself a, a difficult challenge. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's what I'm attempting to do. I'm attempting to write about toxic masculinity in rhyme with our amazing male character called Frank um, to teach kids that, um, yeah, just again, to further the idea that kids should be themselves, that kids should be anything they want to be. They can be any way they want to be. They can do anything they want to do without these societal expectations on top of them so whether it's a girl that wants to be a firefighter or a boy that you know just wants to have a good old cry because he hurt his knee and you know hurting your knee really hurts you know let's cry it out if you want to you know whatever it is just let kids be themselves do what they want to do and need to do so yeah so fingers crossed that is book three well that is the basis of book three Oh, thank you. I'm really excited. Sorry, I didn't mean to get so known. involved with all of that then. But it, again, it's about, it comes back to passion. It comes it back to something that you really, really want to do to make a difference. And um, yeah, and then I, you know, I discover these things. I, I read about these things and I just think, oh God, I want it to be different for our children and our children's children. You know, I don't want those statistics, whether they are male suicide rates or the lack of women working in STEM or the amount of, you know, women who, you know, who can write hashtag me too. I, I just really want those things to be different for our children, for our children's children. So yeah, it comes, it always comes back to passion. And you're doing something about it, which is amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm having a go. Well, thank you. Um, so your website is fearchopsbooks.com and I'll link to that in the show notes as well for anyone who didn't quite get it there. So Great. thank you so, so much. You've been a fantastic guest. You've been so generous with your time. You've been so generous with what you've shared with everyone. And I really feel like for anyone who's had even just a, I don't know, the tiniest idea about a book they might want to write, I really hope and believe that you would have given people that bit of confidence to say, actually, yeah, I can, I can do this. Oh, this is doable. thank you. Yeah, I hope I have. Yeah, just do it. Just do it. Just have a go. And that is a great note to end on. Thank you so, so much. No problem. Thank you. So I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Suzanne and you found it useful. As always, I would love to hear from you. So please do email me, vicky at tinychipmonk.com. And if you have a moment, please do rate and review the show. It's really appreciated. Thank you so much. Take care and speak to you soon.
If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.